Well, hello there, and thank you for tuning in to the Shameless Sex Podcast. I'm Amy, sex educator, somatic sex and relationship coach, and sex shop owner. And I'm April, VP of an international high-end pleasure product company and boss queen sex toy mogul. We're best friends who make our own rules about who we are as sexual beings. With everything from how to be a badass in the bedroom, to pussy praising, to top tips for bringing your relationship to the next level, we have something just for you. So sit back, relax, and and enjoy enjoy the show. Don't forget to head on over to our website at shamelesssex.com for more. And for 15% off of some of our favorite sex toys, use coupon code SHAMELESSPP in all caps at purepleasureshop.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 28 of the Shameless Sex Podcast. I'm Amy, and here is April. Hi, everybody. And we have a guest today, and this is a really special guest. April will actually share kind of a more personal story on uh, why this guest is so special to us, but um, we've both been listening to this lovely person's podcast. There's a lot of really wonderful gifts that they're sharing with the world in regards to fertility awareness. So uh, kind of a different a different direction for our uh, episodes, but this is really valuable knowledge, especially because it's not widely talked about. And um, so this is, they'll probably learn a lot of new, fun, and exciting things. So I'll let April do an intro here of our guest. April, who are we meeting with today? We are meeting Lisa. Hi, Lisa. Hi. Lisa Hendrickson-Jack from Canada, all the way from Canada. And you have an amazing podcast, right, Lisa, that you've been doing for how long now? It's three years this month. Three years. And I'll tell you, so um, I have a personal story to share about Lisa um, because my other bestie actually was having her own fertility journey and um, for many years, about three years. And she... um, told me so I could get in touch with her fertility journey. She was like, you have to listen to this podcast. Um, This woman is changing my life. And then actually you did some coaching for her and um, she got pregnant using your methods. Um, And uh, you do a lot of coaching for pregnancy, but also to help people with um, natural, basically birth control correct? Yes. Yes, that's right. I teach the fertility awareness method. And so you can use that to avoid pregnancy. And it's just as effective as the hormonal methods, although it's a little bit different because you have to do stuff. Um, But also supporting women to conceive and really helping them to understand what their menstrual cycle is saying um, about their body. You know, I think you, you know, we're all taught that our periods only matter when we're trying to get pregnant, except that's not actually true. They matter. Um, They matter all the time. And they're actually a sign of your overall health. That's yeah. And you've been basically like using fertility awareness as your primary method of birth control for like many years, right? Yeah. So I am 35. I actually my birthday was last week. So I'm like newly 35. Thank you. Thank you. Um, And so I've been using this method since I was about 19 years old. Wow. That's (laughs) incredible. 16, I don't even know how many years, a lot of years. That's because I, and, and Amy too, I mean, Amy actually like was using the IUD and got pregnant on the IUD. I have oh, wow. been an avid person um, like that doesn't like birth control. So I was using condoms when I was, um, now my partner has, you know, a vasectomy, but um, I was using condoms and, and people ask us constantly, like, is there a better way than taking the pill or condoms? So um, especially when you have a monogamous partner or, a, you know, you're fluid bonded with a partner, you kind of want to figure out different ways to um, have birth control. So Yes. 
Yeah. Yes, definitely. And and I think I just wanted to so, so the name of your podcast is Fertility Friday, correct? That's right. Okay, Fertility Friday. And I uh, before we go in with some questions, I just also wanted to clarify for folks that are listening. This is a podcast for anyone that wants to learn about fertility awareness, which applies whether you're trying to get pregnant or if you're not trying to get pregnant. So this applies to um, all folks who are looking for um, something related to uh, birth or not to birth. And so this is, has some in, useful information for you. And you also have a blog that's pretty popular as well. Yes. So I've, um, this, I started out the year strong. I was doing weekly, but that I've, I'm working on some projects, some kind of offline projects, but I have quite a bit of, uh, quite a bit of posts on there specifically related to fertility awareness and different topics that have come up. And so it's, yes, the blog, um, but the podcast is kind of like the main recurring regular um, committed every Friday. There's another episode um, and I've been going strong. So it's a combination of both. Good job. And Fertility Friday smart. And then everyone knows Friday it is. Friday's the day. <laughs> we do uh, the see you next Tuesday method. We're every Tuesday. Love it. Love <laughs> it. <laughs> so we can dive in because I think we have some awesome questions so people can get clear on, on um, fertility awareness. So what exactly is fertility awareness, Lisa? Well, fertility awareness is a, it's essentially an application of a very basic understanding of the female body and reproduction and understanding that fundamentally every woman should know and we should know, but we just we just don't know. So basically what it is, is I, it, when I'm describing fertility awareness, I often start by doing a little bit of myth busting. And so if you are anything like me, in my junior high sex ed class, I was taught that I could get pregnant on every single day of my cycle. <laughs> there were no safe days. And so it left me with like this intense terror at the thought that anytime I had sex with a male partner, I, I would be potentially pregnant. And so it turns out that there's only a very small window of fertility in the menstrual cycle. So it's about six to seven days total. And what fertility awareness is, is it allows you to figure out how to identify which days are fertile so that you know, and then you get to decide what you're going to do with that information. So if you're actively avoiding pregnancy, then you can figure it out. So on those particular days, you decide whether you're not going to have the sex <laughs> or whether you're going to use a barrier method or some other form of uh, birth control, contraception, alternative sex, like outer course where fluids don't mix. But whatever it is, you get to decide how you're going to manage those days. And then the rest of that time, you can just have the sex and not get pregnant. And um, there's obviously a bit to it. You kind of have to learn, especially if you're using the method for birth control so that you can get the rely, the, um, the effectiveness, the high effectiveness rate. So there are a few things you have to learn if you really want to use it, if you're serious about it. But I think that the piece of just understanding that there's a small window of fertility is key. And so similarly, if you're trying to conceive, being able to pinpoint that window, especially as we get older, that window shortens. So a young woman, uh, I'll just kind of share that, you know, one of the main kind of the center of the method is being able to understand and learn about your cervical mucus. And so to be able to look for it, watch for it so that you can actually see. So, you know, when you're in your fertile window, you produce cervical mucus. And so uh, that's something that most of us are not taught about as women. So there's a lot of women who have ended up in the doctor's office month after month thinking they were, they had an infection, but really it was just their natural cervical mucus. And so when you are able to figure that out, then um, you're able to really identify. And when you're trying to conceive on the flip side, 
when you're younger, you naturally have more days of this cervical mucus. As you get older, so by the time you hit your early 40s, you may have fewer days. So it becomes even more important when you're trying to conceive to be able to figure out which days are your fertile days because it, the window could be even smaller than that six to seven days that I mentioned. So this is like free knowledge that our body offers us, free birth control or knowledge on how to get pregnant that no one tells us. Instead, we're told uh, that we have to pay money and put hormones in our bodies when really there is a whole, it's like kind of scientifically proven system that has always been here for us. Correct. Oh, Amy's got so many questions. Um, if you use this properly for a birth control method, do you know the success rate if it's used properly? So there have been studies that have been done specifically with the symptothermal method. And so what that is, is a combination of monitoring cervical mucus specifically. And um, many women will monitor the position of their cervix, but most it's cervical mucus would be the primary and then your temperature. So for any woman who's listening or man who's listening, um, you may have heard that after ovulation, so after you ovulate in your cycle, if you're measuring your temperature every day, so kind of first thing when you wake up in the morning, after ovulation, there's actually a noticeable shift that you can put on a graph on, <laughs> on a chart. And that is because after ovulation, your body starts producing progesterone and progesterone has a thermogenic effect on the body. So this is like a science, like it's a real thing. And so anyway, so the studies that have been done on the symptothermal method combine those two. So your mucus and your basal body temperature and with, you know, correct use. So with perfect use in the studies that I'm thinking of, uh, the, the, the women who are participating in the study had actually been trained by fertility awareness educators. So it's a study of women who actually were trained in a specific method. So they know exactly how to do it and they were actually actively doing it. And so in those studies, effectiveness is as high as 99.6%. Because ultimately, if you identify the only days in your cycle where you could possibly get pregnant and then you don't have unprotected sex on those days, then you can't get pregnant. So you have a chart. So you basically start charting your cycle. Like if I wanted to start this method tomorrow, I start charting my cycle and basically I look for patterns is what I'm gathering. Right. And then, um, I gather the information. How long does it usually take before you kind of start to realize like how much time would you suggest taking like two months or three months or right away? You can kind of see the patterns. and No. Um, well, so that it, it, it depends. I would say, I would say for, it depends on a couple of things. So it depends on whether or not you're working with someone who knows more than you do, uh, whether or not you've just come off of, say, the pill or some other type of hormonal contraceptive, uh, and kind of how motivated you are. So the reason that that matters is because when you come off of a hormonal method of birth control, it does take some time before your cycle normalizes. So it can be if you're kind of trying to do it on your own uh, and you just got off the pill, and so your period, you know, maybe it, you, you, it doesn't come back for a while, or maybe your cycles are a little bit wonky. So it's a little bit harder uh, to figure that out on your own. But so typically, when you're first starting out, so if you were to start today, the very first thing you're going to want to do is at least chart, you know, one to three full cycles, meaning that you go from a period, and then you ovulate at some point, and then you have another period. So a full cycle, at least one to three full cycles, so that you can actually start to see 
the pattern so that you can start to see, okay, this is what my cervical mucus looks like. Oh, oh my goodness, this is what it looks like when I ovulate. I can see the change in my temperature. Okay, this is starting to make sense. And so you want to make sure that you have a good sense of how this works before you even start to have the unprotected sex. Like you really need to take a couple of cycles to figure that out. If you're working with an instructor, so when I'm working with a client, it's still the first, the very first cycle, my suggestion is always protected sex, no unprotected sex, the first cycle so that we can at least see a full cycle. And then when you're, when they're working with me, having that support, then the second cycle, we can start, you know, in the post-ovulatory phase. Uh, you know what I mean? Like really getting a sense of the rules. So does that kind of answer your question? Yeah, I think that that helps. I um, so I actually have uh, have dabbled with this a little bit, um, and I I personally think that, and you probably would agree that it would be really helpful for someone to work with someone like you to help them support them through this. Whether again you're trying to get pregnant or not, because to learn the ins and outs of what's you know what cervical fluid looks like and how it changes and what how exactly to look for it and you know what it is that you're looking for and I mean it's a, it's a process and I think a lot of folks don't necessarily uh, understand nor is there a lot of uh, perfect literature I mean in, in imagery and support that they can find so um, as someone who's who's experimented with this a little bit uh, I, and felt like it was very challenging to do on my own. I, I've, I, I don't know if you want to speak to that, why it would be important for someone to have support or a coach. I guess that's what you call yourself, right? Fertility awareness coach? Yeah. Um, fertility awareness, well, fertility awareness educator. You can call me fertility awareness coach. Same idea. Um, I would say that there, there was a time, I'm guessing, when um, kind of like before – the majority of women were taking hormonal contraceptives for a period of time where charting would have been really just quite simple. And so um, I'll just kind of share with you that I have a term for women who have, say, never used hormonal contraceptives or potentially only used them for a really short period of time. So I have worked with women that maybe tried the pill, but they really reacted badly. So they only used it for like a month. And so <laughs> my, you know, the term for these that, that I just, you know, made up are virgin cycles. So this is a the menstrual cycle of a woman who has never used hormonal contraceptives for any, you know, significant period of time. So for women who are otherwise healthy, you know, no endocrine disorders, no thyroid problems, no PCOS, no hypothalamic amenorrhea, like, you know what I mean? Like we're just regular healthy person and you've never really used hormonal contraceptives, then typically a woman's cycles are not the same and not quote unquote predictable, but they follow kind of a, a, a pattern. And so although a woman is not going to ovulate on the exact same day every cycle and her cycles month to month are not going to be exactly the same, um, it, it may be a little bit easier for her to chart her cycles because she'll have her period. She'll have a few days before she starts to see cervical mucus. Then she'll see cervical mucus for a few days and then she'll ovulate and then she'll um, have her period in about 12 to 14 days, and it'll just, the cycle will just repeat. And so there is a small percentage of women who are, fall into that category, like virgin cycles, their cycles are pretty regular, they come, they go, like nothing happened. And so for those women, they wouldn't potentially require you know, the services. These are the women who could pick up a, a copy of Tony Weschler's Taking Charge of Your Fertility, otherwise known as the Fertility Awareness Bible, or any of the other resources and read the book and just kind of like be off to the races and 
kind of wonder why so many women have an issue with it. Like these are the women that are like, why would someone need a, a teacher? This is so easy. But the majority of women have used hormonal contraceptives and often discover this method after they've been using them for anywhere from two to five to 10 to 20 years. And so what happens in those situations is that your cycle is not, it just doesn't look like that. And there's a lot of complexities that, that can happen. And especially if a woman's trying to conceive and she's not successful, there may be issues, you know, or reasons why she's not conceiving, reasons that can show up in her chart. And so in those scenarios, uh, it's really helpful to have a teacher to guide you through that. It, you can still chart even if your cycles are irregular. You can still rely on this method for birth control. Uh, it's just that you have to really have a good understanding of how to do it all and the other layer is if your cycles aren't healthy, like what to do about that to make them, to get, to get them healthy. I have a question regarding, um, kind of food intake. So everybody has different diets from, you know, India to UK <laughs> to here to Canada. Um, do you think when you make a diet change, does that show up in your chart? Because yes. I feel like that's something that I, I don't know, um, resonates with us coming from Santa Cruz. Everybody's all gluten-free and healthy, but maybe some other places they're not so much. Yes. So like an emphatic yes. So one of the things that's really interesting when you start to chart your cycles is that you start to see how different things impact you. And so it's not uncommon to like, you know, I've had this experience and many of my other colleagues who also do this fertility, you know, awareness education when working with clients where you'll literally work with a client and they'll see that their job is totally stressing them out and messing up their cycle. And so it drives them to kind of make a total career change. And you're just like, whoa, how did that happen? So um, I've seen it. I've seen it where, for example, um, I've had a number of clients who have different food sensitivities or gut issues. So for example, clients that have uh, symptoms of IBS. So, you know, like, you know, when they eat certain things, they have like intense stomach pain and, you know, go between diarrhea and, and constipation. So that's a bit of an extreme example. But I've, I've worked with clients who, uh, you know, we look at everything, we do an intake, we go through their history. And, you know, I check in with them, like, is there anything that you feel like when you eat it, you don't feel good? Or are there any foods that you actually think you might be sensitive to, for instance? And I've worked with a number of clients who will then kind of take out some things like you mentioned, you know, gluten-free diet, or maybe they'll take out coffee because when they drink coffee, they have a stomach ache. And then you'll see their chart shift in this like just incredible way where perhaps they had abnormal cervical mucus patterns, like they were seeing mucus all the time and then they remove certain things and then the mucus goes away and all of a sudden their mucus patterns look more healthy and you know, what you, what you would expect to see. Or I've had clients that have irregular bleeding where they just have all this bleeding. Like it's just all the time. And like throughout there's a spotting and spotting and spotting. And then they identify certain things and uh, food related things and they remove those. And all of a sudden that kind of normalizes. And so it's not magic. And of course it's not always dramatic. So for some clients that may not be the answer, right? Like some clients may have certain symptoms and they remove the food, but that is not what's causing that issue for them. So it's not always the same thing. But uh, yes, to answer your question, absolutely, food can make a huge difference in the cycle. So really, and, and from there, so cervical mucus can determine our stress levels, as well as like, if the foods we're eating aren't, you know, basically going with our bodies and what we need. Um, I had no idea that that because that's really that's like groundbreaking information for me. Okay. 
My pussy does a lot for me. (laughs) Totally. Like, it's crazy. Well, the thing about cervical mucus is that your body doesn't just randomly produce it for no reason. So as you approach ovulation, your estrogen levels are rising. And so your mucus is produced in response to your hormone levels. And so once you, like for me, like I studied how to read the chart. So I actually like went to school, like I went to like fertility where to school. (laughs) So I trade through Justice College. And so, so I was, you know, but so for a person who can read the chart, like you can look at a person's cervical mucus and it does give you some information about their hormone levels. So if you think about it from that perspective, if a person is sensitive to certain foods and then they're consuming it, that can cause Uh, inflammation in the body and it can disrupt hormonal levels and it can also delay ovulation. So you can have a situation where this particular food for this particular person is causing a certain degree of stress on the body and that therefore is kind of having an effect on ovulation. And so then you have this kind of elongated mucus pattern where instead of just, so in a, in a healthy cycle, when things are kind of swimming along, you know, you would, your estrogen would rise, you would start to see cervical mucus and that's going to lead to ovulation. Like it's just, it's like a sentence. Like we, we have a beginning, a middle and an end. So we start to move towards ovulation. Then we ovulate, like we get to the point and it happens and then we move on for the second half of the cycle. But when there's other things going on, even uh, one, like even other types of stress. So one of the things I see a lot with my clients is like, if you're traveling or if, if you've got like your sister's getting married and you had to stay up for three nights, helping her with decorations, whatever, whatever the case is, some sort of stress. And then that can kind of delay ovulation. So you can just, what happens when women start to chart their cycles is that they start to see how integral, like how intimately connected their cycle is to basically everything that's going on in their lives. And I think for many women, it's just such a like, it's like, whoa, like, how is how is it possible that my cycle can be affected by all of these different things? Like when especially when none of us have ever been taught about our cycles to begin with. When so when looking for cervical fluid, it goes beyond just, you know, looking at your panties and saying, oh, there's cervical fluid. There's a whole different technique to it. Can you describe that? Uh, Yes. So when looking for cervical fluid, um, there's two kind of camps. And so uh, some women will actually, you know, insert a finger into their vagina and look for cervical mucus. And so when I'm working with clients, I encourage them to actually use like the, the wiping method. So, you know, every day we go to the bathroom a lot. So if you're anything like me, I go to the bathroom at least like four or five times a day. So when I go to the bathroom, I'm already wiping myself, right? Like, I mean, this might be TMI, but I'm guessing that that's, that's, no, that's, kosher a, that's around here. Our, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, so I'm already wiping. So basically what we're doing is we're wiping intentionally. So, um, when you go to the bathroom, you'd actually wipe before you go to the bathroom and take a look at the tissue, the toilet paper to see if there's anything there. And then you go to the bathroom and then you actually wipe again. And so that might seem a little strange, but like when you go to the bathroom, you're like pushing and things come out. And so if there was mucus hanging out in your vagina, you want to check after you go to the bathroom as well, because sometimes that pushes it out. Um, You can tell like I'm super comfortable talking about bodily fluids, but that's basically how you check and you check throughout the day. And so what happens is the majority of your cycle, so what you would expect to see kind of in a normal cycle, um, 
healthy cycle is that the majority of the time you're going to be wiping and it's going to feel kind of dry. Like there's not, and you're going to look at the toilet paper and there's like nothing there because the majority of the cycle, you are not fertile. So you don't have mucus for the majority of your cycle. And so what, what, when you do this, you really notice when it shifts, right? So you have your period. And so let's just, I'll just give you like a, you know, cycle example. So let's just say a woman has like just a regular run of the mill cycle, no, no big issues to speak of. And so she has her period. And then, you know, for several days after her period, if she's wiping every time she goes to the bathroom before and after, she's going to notice that it's like dry. There's like nothing there. And so then at some point that's going to switch and she's all of a sudden going to feel like, oh, this is a little different. It doesn't feel dry anymore. It feels kind of smooth or it feels lubricative or slippery and then when she looks at her toilet paper all of a sudden there's going to be stuff there that she can actually pick up and like test between her fingers so it might look like creamy white hand lotion it could look like raw egg whites and like stretch super far between her fingers and for other women they might just notice that it feels super lubricative like super slippery I always joke that it's like your hand hits the back of the toilet paper or your hand hits the back of the toilet like (laughs) when you wipe yourself Um, but maybe there's nothing that you can actually pick up but the toilet paper is just wet either way that's your mucus and so when you're wiping and you're wiping every day then you start to notice that there's a period of time in your cycle where you actually start to see this mucus stuff and it's you know it's very exciting when you see it for the first time and then after you ovulate then you would you know, not have the mucus anymore. It dries up after ovulation, progesterone shuts down your mucus production. And so for the rest of your cycle, you would expect to see again, dry. And so as people are doing this, they would be important to chart this. And um, what are, what are some of the ways people chart this? I know that there's online apps, but what are some of your suggestions for charting? Um, Well, I mean, basically when you're doing the, when you're using this method and you're actually like, so using the method involves a couple things. Like you have to check and then you have to write it down because you're not going to remember what happened like yesterday or the day before Like you're just not. So yes. So there's lots of different ways to chart. And when I first started charting back in like 2000, (laughs) not a lot of apps then (laughs) there was no apps. Um, I was in my first or second year of university and yeah, I don't even know if I had a cell phone the first year. So, um, back then I like made books. So I actually, um, used to make books for my friends and I, uh, so I like went to create an Excel spreadsheet and created like a chart that looks very much like the charts in taking charge of your fertility. And yeah, like every day I would just kind of write down what was going on and, um, and I sold the books to my friends. Like I was, I was like a fertility awareness champion, like back in the day. You're an entrepreneur <laughs> early. Yeah. Well, fertility I never actually, I never turned a profit, but oh, I you did it. <laughs> no, definitely. I don't know how entrepreneurial it was, but I, I definitely sold a lot of books. Um, uh, but anyways, so fast forward to now, there's a ton of apps. So, I mean, the Kandara app is one of the most popular uh, but there's, there's lots of them. Like, I don't even, I don't even think I need to like list them. I think anybody could just Google like fertility awareness or charting app and you could find a bunch. So, you know, my suggestion for a woman who is seriously wanting to use this as a birth control method, or even to try to conceive is to find an app that allows you to turn off the predictor settings. So one thing that we haven't talked about is that the fertility awareness method is not the rhythm method. Like it's not the same thing. So the rhythm method is, is a real thing. And, you know, it, 
it was developed in the early 1900s. Um, I found a paper on it and it was, there was a mention of 1936 (laughs) and the rhythm method. And so what the rhythm method was, was the, based on the assumption that your menstrual cycle is always going to be the same length. So we all know that the menstrual cycle is 28 days, right? And every woman ovulates on day 14, except that's not a real thing. And so the rhythm method is based on this idea that our cycles are always going to be the same and that we can predict what the next cycle is going to be like based on this cycle. And so although fertility awareness is not that, fertility awareness is based on actually checking every day to see what's going on and deciding at the end of each day if today was a fertile day. And that has nothing to do with what happened yesterday and it has nothing to do with what you think is going to happen tomorrow. So it's quite literally like a day-to-day we're going to figure out our fertility based on what's happening literally today. Um, and so a lot of these apps have predictor settings. And so what it does is it kind of calculates average of your cycle lengths based on your previous cycle lengths and then tells you when you're going to be fertile. And a lot of women like that. They take, um, I think it, they, it just feels comforting to feel like this is what's happening. But I've seen, I've worked with hundreds of women and seen thousands of charts. And so every single woman, regardless of how regular your cycles have always been, will have a short cycle and a long cycle at some point in her life. So you can't predict. So my only suggestion is whatever app you want, just, you know, turn off the predictor setting and actually like monitor your signs and put it in the thing and decide for yourself whether you're fertile or not. Don't I, let the app. I can so relate to that like frustration because I, I literally track my cycles just to know about when I'm going to get my period. And I use the predictor app and it's never accurate ever. I'm like, why are my cycles 22 days? Then it'll be 28 days. And it's like 24. And I get so confused. I didn't realize that. Um, I guess I, I like put in the information about what I thought. I was like, I guess isn't 28 like regular um, <laughs> and five days. So that's so interesting because I've been tracking my cycles just to figure out. I'm like, I think I'm ovulating today, but I have no idea really just based on the calendar of this like predictory app that I'm using. Well, and the one, the one thing you, you actually can predict your period when you chart your cycles, but it's not, it might not be what you think. So when you chart your cycles, you can, you can figure out when ovulation happened. And so you can do that in a couple of ways. So one is to track your mucus, because as I mentioned, typically your mucus will dry up after you ovulate. So if you can figure out and learn how to track your mucus, then once your mucus dries up, then that's a good sign um, that, you know, that you've ovulated. But, you know, more specifically, most women who do kind of the modern fertility awareness charting will use their basal body temperature. And so because your temperature rises after ovulation, it doesn't help you to predict ovulation at all. So none of these things help you to predict which day ovulation is going to happen on because that is variable. So your ovulation is not always going to happen on the same day. And that's okay. Um, but what we can do is after ovulation, we can say, okay, you know, I'm, I've been charting my temperatures for my whole cycle and I see that my temperature increased and stayed high after this day. So you can kind of assume that ovulation happened, say the day before your temperature rose and stayed high. And so what happens is although your pre ovulatory phase is variable, so your ovulation is never like, it's just, it's not always going to happen on the same day. I can't stress that enough, but typically when you start to chart your cycles, your post ovulatory phase, so the days between when you actually ovulated and when your period comes are stable. And so for most women that will fall somewhere between 12 and 14 days. So let's say uh, for you, it's, it's 12 days. 
And once you get that sorted out, when you had, you can predict your period based on that. So as soon as you get to ovulation and you see you ovulated, you can be, you know, certain that your period's going to happen, you know, 12 days after. And if your period doesn't come 12 days after, then, you know, get a pregnancy test. And I mean, like, what is normal anyway? Like, there, I feel like there, we don't like, I, I utilize the word normal never, literally, because I don't <laughs> like it. But um, there's so many variations of, like, normal that in this in this specific case, like what works for me might not work for you and vice versa. Right. So do you feel like, um, I don't know, there's like, there's some kind of, I don't know, uh, thing that we should be looking for patterns. Um, I mean, you kind of talked about it, but, um, and it can, we could relate it to diet and lifestyle or there's issues, um, that are all like, you know, composed into that aspect. Like, can you give us more insight to what normal is, even though I hate that word? Yes. Well, and I'm totally with you with the hesitancy to use the word normal, but I do use the word normal when I'm talking about the menstrual cycle. And the reason I do that is because, you know, for me, when I first started trying my cycles, like I said, I was really young. And so I was like, <laughs> this picture, first year university, like I was like going to all of these lectures. I was learning about feminism. I was taking women's studies classes and I was all about this empowerment. And so I had actually really unhealthy cycles. Like my cycles were 45 days kind of between 40 and, you know, I had a cycle that was 54 days. And so I had an undiagnosed thyroid problem. <laughs> <laughs> but oh, wow. I didn't know. Right. I was like 19. And so I remember when I started charting and I read like taking charge of your fertility and I was like charting and I was like, my cycles don't have to be 28 days. I'm unique. <laughs> I am woman. And so, <laughs> and so I, I actually kind of wanted to embrace that and be like, oh, my cycles are just 45 days. No, 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 no. 45 days is not normal. <laughs> so what is normal? So, I mean, there's different like th for like parameters, kind of there's all of the different parameters. We talked about temperature, we talked about cervical mucus, we talked about cerv cervical position. So there's different kind of um, aspects of it. But at the most basic level, you know, a normal cycle will fall somewhere in between 24 and 35 days in length. And although, like I mentioned, ovulation does vary from cycle to cycle and does not always happen on the same day, in a normal kind of healthy cyclical pattern, we would expect that your cycle length isn't varying more than say eight days from cycle to cycle. So for example, you wouldn't expect to have a 21 day cycle and then a 45 day cycle and then a 32 day cycle and then a 54 day cycle. Like that is not normal. But if you have, uh, and when I say not normal, what I mean is that it's indicating that there's something we need to look at. There's probably an actual problem, like some sort of underlying issue that is causing this type of reaction in your body. So it's actually your body giving you information. And that's why it's important that all women have a good understanding of their menstrual cycle, because regardless of whether or not you want to have children, if your menstrual cycle is, for lack of a better word, a hot mess, that is actually your body giving you <laughs> information about your overall health. And so your cycle can help you to identify different issues that are going on health-wise or even in your life that you need that need attention um but yeah so the kind of that's the, the the first thing which is just identifying that if your cycle varies a little bit so in your case you know like 21 days one cycle 24 days another cycle that's not necessarily like, that's not necessarily a problem that's that sounds to me like normal variation and so in regards to normal or uh, typical i'd say so say someone had you know, a 28 day cycle. Um, so what you're saying is 
typically they could expect somewhere around 12 days after they ovulate, after they have, they are not seeing any more cervical fluid of um, a period of where they can have uh, intercourse without getting pregnant. So this is, I guess, coming from the perspective of someone who's not trying to get pregnant. And then um, they should also have some days that would come um, or they could that would come after they stop bleeding, and then they should, that's when they would you know for a couple of days, and then they would start seeing cervical fluid. I mean, how many days can you say in a uh, average cycle that someone could expect to have um, safe safe days to have intercourse? Um, the answer to that question really depends on the health uh, of the cycle. So again, with the virgin cycle example, you know we would expect to see cervical mucus potentially for three to six days or three to eight days type of thing before leading into ovulation. So then for most women, that would be, that would mean that you have a window of fertility, as I mentioned, like six to seven days. But of course, when you're using the method for birth control, we have to add a couple of days for as a, as a buffer period. So when you're following the rules associated with fertility awareness-based methods, there is always a buffer period added to ensure that, you know, you actually did ovulate and that your cervical mucus actually did dry up so that we know that you are actually, that we are actually in your infertile phase. So what it typically looks like is, you know, seven, potentially nine days in the cycle where you can't like where you are potentially fertile and then outside of that window, then those are the days that you are not fertile. However, as I mentioned, for women who are coming off of hormonal birth control, for example, I've worked with a number of women who, you know, have kind of both uh, post birth control charts. And, you know, sometimes it really depends. So some women may have a situation where they, they have just mucus and mucus, like days of mucus. I've seen women that have mucus for like two, three weeks. And that's because of some other issue that's going on. So something else that we need to identify and kind of work on. And so in those cases, it kind of sucks because then you have kind of this long period where you have to consider yourself potentially fertile, even though clearly, clearly you're not fertile for three weeks. But because we are seeing kind of these abnormal mucus patterns, we kind of have to... Um, it just means more days of potential fertility because you don't know. Um, does, does it make sense? Like you wouldn't know, like if you see mucus today, like you wouldn't know that you're not going to ovulate for three weeks. Yeah, so you, you have to consider yourself fertile. You have to go by, by, with, by what's present that day. Yeah. So the healthier your cycles are, the easier it is for you to chart in the sense that you would have, you would expect to have a more typical healthy mucus pattern. So your mucus is not supposed to go on and on forever, but depending on what's happening in your body and your cycle, you know, your history, hormonal contraceptive use, post miscarriage, whatever the situation is, there are times when, um, there you can have like this longer window. And in, so I just want to get, get clear if possible on the, um, the safer sex terminology. So there's the window of when you it is where you are fertile, and then then there's the window that you're you've you're not ovulating more, and then you have the buffer days, and now you don't have the cervical fluid. So this is considered the safe window. Say someone's not trying to get pregnant to um, to have um, intercourse. Now, when you're defining the the period when, so say again from the perspective of someone who's not trying to get pregnant, that's using this for um, a birth control method. The the times when someone is considered fertile, and you're saying that um, 
when you're speaking about this being um, a safe or effective method, you're speaking directly to completely abstaining or do you, is there some room there? You're talking about condoms and what, also what's your opinion on the withdrawal method? Ooh, loaded question. I'll pull up. <laughs> um, so <laughs> because, I mean, I'm, I, I'm a fertility awareness educator. And so that with that territory comes choice. And so I don't have an, a, you know, it's, it's really up to each woman to decide how she is going to manage her fertile window. So, I mean, a few things to kind of be clear on, I suppose, is that if you do use the fertility awareness method and during your fertile window, you are using condoms, it's helpful to know that during your fertile window, you are using condoms. <laughs> So technically, (laughs) you're not using fertility awareness during that period of, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's kind of the the logistics, but like if you use a condom and you don't use the condom correctly, you can't be like fertility awareness didn't work for me like (laughs) because you were using a condom. So it's kind of like understanding that and knowing that. So what fertility awareness does is it allows you to make those conscious choices. So I know for me, Um, all of these years using the fertility awareness method, I found it to be extremely (laughs) comforting to know exactly when I was in my fertile window so that, you know, if I was choosing to use condoms during my fertile window, I knew that I could get pregnant. Mm. (laughs) So I used those condoms with extra care. Um, You know what I mean? And like, also the other side of that is that, you know, if you ever have a scenario where the condom breaks or it slips off or, you know, whatever the case, when you chart your cycles, you know whether or not that's a problem, that cycle. Mm. Like if your condom slips off in the post-ovulatory phase, you're not going to get pregnant, right? Because you're charting your cycles and you know that you're not in your fertile window. But if the condom slips off and you know what I mean, like in the fertile window, then you know, and you can grab plan B or whatever you need to do. Um, to manage that situation. Yeah, so so the same thing would go for a withdrawal method. If someone was incorporating a withdrawal method during a fer- fertile phase, then it's just as effective as the withdrawal method. Well, yes. And so withdrawal is, a, is an interesting conversation because, I mean... It's really, it's really interesting. So from a fertility awareness perspective, like whenever I'm working with clients, so just so that everyone knows, like a lot of people use withdrawal. <laughs> it's like the, the secret. It's like everyone's like dirty little secret. <laughs> it's totally, so dirty. It's so dirty. So it's so funny because, you know, I've worked with so many clients and like, they'll kind of like, like the, the look of shame, they look down like we use withdrawal. And so it's like this, like this thing that everyone feels really, um, whatever, however conflicted maybe about. So, you know, from when we were younger, we've been taught that withdrawal isn't a real method and it doesn't work and all that kind of stuff. But the reality is that a lot of people use withdrawal, a lot of people. And so I have heard statistics as high as 96% effective. So the thing about withdrawal is that there's a couple things about withdrawal, but the thing about withdrawal is that, um, so I'm trying to think of how to word it, but um, semen and pre-seminal fluid come from different glands, different places. So technically, there technically shouldn't be uh, sperm in pre-seminal fluid. However, there is a failure rate associated with withdrawal. And so, you know, I don't know how many clinical studies are currently being done on withdrawal, right? Like, 
people aren't really studying it. And so perhaps there's a small percentage of men that may have some semen in their preseminal fluid, but the actual biology of the situation would say that that uh, they, the semen actually comes from a different place. And so um, I'll just say that as a, as a kind of a first thing, because I, you know, there are a lot of couples that successfully use withdrawal for years and don't conceive. Uh, the, the second complication about withdrawal is that if, if, if your partner doesn't withdraw, then you're not, there's no method. <laughs> you're screwed. <laughs> <laughs> right? Look, so, so there's a certain degree of, you know, your partner has to have a certain degree of control and understanding about, you know, his ejaculation, all that kind of stuff. And you have to, there has to be trust. Like there's all that kind of stuff that has to happen. But so that's part of it. And then one of the things that I always talk about with my clients is perfect use withdrawal. So being really clear on what that means. Um, have you ever heard of the term contact pregnancy? Um, do elaborate on this. <laughs> so when you get pregnant in a hot tub, just, just kidding. Possible. I don't even understand that hot tub thing, but, um, but so contact pregnancy is a word for pregnancy that happens without intercourse. So it's helpful to know that cervical fluid, the reason why fertility awareness educators like me talk about it all the time and it's the center of the method and we could go on about it forever is because cervical mucus is, is a central part of you getting pregnant naturally and cervical mucus actually draws the sperm into your cervical crypts and then proceeds to like push it into your uterus like basically cervical mucus is like grabbing the sperm and like throwing it at the egg <laughs> just throwing it and so it's it, and it's very interesting because there's a lot of research that has been done about it so it's actually a scientific thing so what that means is that if you were to not have intercourse, but at some point in your sexual exchange, semen were to come into contact with your cervical fluid. So for instance, uh, perhaps your partner ejaculates on his hands and then, you know, he goes in with his hands and, and whatever, but that can result in pregnancy. Mm. So it's really important to know with withdrawal that if you actually wanted to try it as a method of birth control, I mean, you know, the risks, so you got to know that. Um, but at the same time, you have to know like, okay, so before you have any intercourse, it's a good idea for your partner to urinate so as to clear the urethra. And then when you have sex, you know, the, he has to pull out before he ejaculates. Now that might sound silly, but I'm being serious that he has to pull out so that, you know, not pulling out while he's coming. <laughs> yeah, it's a little too late. In that <laughs> yeah. So however, whatever that means for you, if that means 30 seconds, if it means a minute, you know, if it means that you finish in a different way, but to, to perfect use withdrawal means that like the ejaculation happens far from your vulva, nowhere near your vulva, essentially. And then, you know, if you decide to go for round two, it also means like everyone has a party in the bathroom, like we're washing our hands, we're, you know, he's washing his penis and he's urinating to clear his urethra so that when he goes in for round two, there's no contact pregnancy. I, I actually, yeah, I, I utilize that. Um, I, I use a combination because I, I got pregnant on the IUD, so that didn't really work out for me. And then, fun fact, I, not only did I get pregnant on my first IUD, that was um, the Paragard non-hormonal and got pregnant at year nine. Had nine good years, but really uncomfortable years. Like, clearly, my body was trying to reject this thing for quite some time. <laughs> and um, 
and you know, got the abortion and then got a new paragard put in. And then all of a sudden I had all these other symptoms of my face is breaking out, intense bloating, all these things. And doctors, of course, like it can't be the IUD. And the minute (laughs) I get it out, all the symptoms go away. And we don't need to go too deep into that because I know that you have episodes that talk all about that. So I just want to um, reference that for people to to go check that out if they want to learn more about that, about the the harms that uh, hormonal and even non-hormonal birth controls are um, doing to people's bodies and that there isn't a lot of knowledge and support about it, but they're pretty much backed by pharmaceutical companies and there's a lot of money involved. So that's why people are still uh, kind of buying into that. But uh, I have used the withdrawal method and though so far it's been um, quite successful and I'm starting to, to incorporate it with this fertility awareness method. And I just wanted to comment that what you just talked about with, um, yeah, my, my knowledge of that too as a sex educator would be that the pre-cum does not have uh, semen in it. It's just more just silky fluid to kind of help to lubricate to make things um, start moving and comfortable and, and flowing. And um, and that the that exactly what you said that if someone uh, when the, the key is for someone to really understand when they're going to ejaculate and to pull out in time with enough time before that even starts. Um, but I actually had a moment where it, it was the same thing scenario you're talking about. There was the ejaculation, you know, the pull out the ejaculation, and then we decided we were going to play again. So it was you have to urinate and wash the penis, and now we can play. And it was still scared the living hell out of me, and I couldn't relax and I couldn't drop in, um, even though I have these ideas because it's it's not. I mean, what if sperm is is quite powerful and and microscopic? So who knows if we got it all off? It just felt it just felt a little too nerve wracking. And I so I think at that point, had I more knowledge with the fertility awareness method, where I was in my cycle, um, that would have provided more uh, security, um, whether or not I wanted to continue to choose to make those take those risks. So really, really useful knowledge. Well, and it's so so from. From my seat, because I speak and work with women who are, you know, trying to conceive and have been for a really long time. And then I also work with women who are actively avoiding pregnancy. So you can imagine these two separate conversations going on. One where you you have to not, like, he can fully ejaculate somewhere else, but you can't even let the sperm touch the, the mucus because you could get conceived. And for the record, that's happened. <laughs> I've, I've seen that happen where he, your your part your partner ejaculates like somewhere else and then goes in for some fun and then you conceive. And so for the woman who's trying to conceive, she's like, what the heck are you talking about? Like we're having all the sex on all the days and all the ejaculate is going <laughs> inside of my vagina and I'm not getting pregnant. So it's it's um like it's it's you can you can see what I mean, right? Like it's a very interesting conversation to have because it does it doesn't take much. But at the same time, if there's actually a fundamental problem, um, something that's kind of not being addressed, then no matter like all of the semen isn't going to ca- cause the pregnancy. Does that does you see what I'm? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I think that like and for our listeners, like you have a ton of resources for sure on from your blog to your podcast. And I think we just kind of wanted to like contact you because you are this expert. You're, I mean, you have so much knowledge, years of actually putting it to use as well. So I think like this is sort of, you know, the Cliff's Notes versions to, to what you can actually provide to our listeners. Um, why, in your opinion, is it important not just to get pregnant, but to keep from getting pregnant? Like, what do you think that um, we can all gain from having our um, hormones balanced and our cycles consistent? 
Oh, there's so so many things I could say. Um, I think because I'm on the Shameless Sex Podcast, the first thing I'm going to say is uh, because you want to have a sex drive. <laughs> um, one of the really um, significant and detrimental side effects of most, if not all, hormonal birth control methods is that it really, it's a and it's a clinical thing. This is something that doesn't happen in all in, you know, there's this idea that side effects only happen for some people. So every woman who takes, for instance, the pill, um, and many other methods of birth control, it, it suppresses your testosterone levels. (laughs) So it's a real thing. All women have, like, it's, it's not just like some women because it, it affects your hormones. Right. And so one of the side effects of the pill is a decreased libido. And, um, not, you know, you're, many practitioners aren't really telling women about that. So you're taking this thing so that you can have all the sex, but then it's causing you not to want to have sex. Like it, it's kind of totally, I've yeah. been there, Lisa. I've totally <laughs> been there. I was on the pill for like 15 years and I would always wonder, and now that I'm not on the pill, I'm a sexual fucking awesome person. Right? Like all the time, like I want to do it every day, all day. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. And if you like, so for me, part of the reason why I do this stuff is because picture, like, I don't know how old you were when you went on it, but you know, I'm as a grown woman now, like I'm pretty, and I I haven't been on hormones for, you know, I took, I had a brief stint when I was a teenager, but I haven't been on them now for, you know, over 15 years. And so I'm pretty clear on my sex drive. However, if I started taking the pill when I was 13, how the heck would I know what my normal sex drive was like? And then I continue to take it until I'm 30. So you know what I mean? Like you're robbing women of their normal sex drive. So that's one reason why fertility awareness is helpful because, or other types of non-hormonal methods, because then you can just, um, just be. And so one of the things that I'll say, so from my perspective, we, you know, often when you're in a relationship, I, I think someone mentioned something about like, fluid, I forget the word, but wanting to be, wanting to have that intimacy, like not wanting to have a condom in between the two of you, wanting to have that skin to skin. So the way I see it is when you're on hormonal birth control and it's actually messing with your hormonal profile and messing with your libido. And there's studies that show that hormonal contraceptives are associated with not only lowering libido, but also thinning out your vaginal tissues. Uh, There's a certain percentage of women that experience painful sex because of the effect, the negative effect that these hormones can have on your, literally your clitoris and your vaginal opening, those types of things. So even though you don't physically have something between you, if you're, you're, you and your partner are not using condoms, you have something between you (laughs) because you don't have your sex drive. Okay. So I'm going to leave that one there. (laughs) Um, so the sex drive, but so from my perspective as well, because what I see happening, you could think of it as, is like a cascade of interventions. And the first intervention being hormonal birth control. So for a woman that does plan to have kids at some point in her life, but obviously, you know, doesn't want them now and is looking for birth control, um, it seems like, okay, hormonal contraceptives are the best option. But then what happens and what what I've seen is that, you know, you take them for a really long time and it does have an impact on your cycle. So a lot of women um, will come off of it. And some women will get pregnant right away and some women won't, but all women will have some sort of impact on their actual menstrual cycle. And so there's a a very real transition period that your body goes through after you come off of hormonal contraceptives, especially after long-term use. 
And so that can take anywhere from a year to two years. And for women who have used the shot or the implant or other types of hormonal birth control methods, that can, the, that transition period can be even longer. So from a fertility standpoint, using something like the fertility awareness method that doesn't actually impact your actual fertility can be a way of preserving your fertility such that when you're ready to conceive, you can just switch it up and start having the sex on those days and that's it. Whereas if you're using a hormonal method, you don't even know that there's this transition period because no one tells you. And so then, you know, you go off of whatever hormonal contraceptive, you start trying to have a baby, you don't get pregnant in the first six months, you run to your doctor, all of a sudden you're getting IUI, you're getting Clomid, you're getting this and that, and you're on the IVF train. And you didn't even know, you know, if you had just came off of this a year or two before you were ready to start trying and gave your body the time to really transition and figure it out and for your cycles to normalize, you're paying attention to your cycles and all that dietary stuff we touched on, you know, you'd be fine. But instead, you're on this IVF train because you didn't know that there was a transition period. You know what I mean? Right. Absolutely. There's, I mean, it's like complex, but it's also very simple. That's what I'm taking away from all of this. So, (laughs) um, and and that's the thing. It's like once, I think once you start learning about your body, which I think young women everywhere, uh, this should be taught in, in high schools instead of abstinence and, you know, and here's a tampon, (laughs) shove it up there. Don't worry about your fluids. Like anyway, I have so many things I want to say, but (laughs) we're running out of time. How can people find you, Lisa? Where, where can they go to find your podcast, to find out more information about what you do for education? education and coaching. Okay. Well, thank you for asking. Um, my website is fertilityfriday.com. And so I have lots of information on my website. Um, the podcast is Fertility Friday. So a simple search for Fertility Friday in your favorite podcast app will lead you to the, the podcast. So at this point in time, I have almost 200 episodes. Um, it's been a good three years. And so there's tons of information about the things that I've spoken about today and tons and tons of interviews with different um experts in different areas around fertility. And in terms of my programs, I do uh, one-on-one work with clients. I do group work and um, the groups are a lot of fun. I teach fertility awareness. And so, you know, a bunch of women who are like-minded get together and say, you know, I want to learn how to chart my cycles without, I want to be able to rely on this method of birth control. Um, And so it's nice to be connected with women who are of like mind. So those are the best ways to get in touch with me. Awesome. We can't thank you enough for the wealth of information and for taking the time that wasn't on a Friday to podcast with us. Um, (laughs) We're on a Tuesday, but um, we really appreciate you, Lisa, and everything you're doing. Your work is beautiful. You have the most soothing voice to listen to as well. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, thank you so much. And anytime you're in California, come holler at Amy and I. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. You two are so sweet. And this was a lot of fun. I wish you the very best with your podcast. Awesome. We'll see, we'll see you soon. Thank you, Lisa. You're welcome. Ciao for now. Don't forget to head on over to our website at shamelesssex.com for more. And for 15% off of some of our favorite sex toys, use coupon code SHAMELESSPP in all caps at purepleasureshop.com.